does that mean? I think we've just been mocked for something. Let me guess what it is. <laughs> this is the siege. It's a goddamn siege. He's the one they want. Why don't we give him to them? Well, don't give me that civilized look. This is my station tonight. He came in here for help. He's going to get all the help we can give him. Very nice, Lieutenant. Thank you. Chris Kowsley here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to head back to Haddonfield one more time. For now, I assume. As the David Gordon Green and Dana McBride Helm Halloween franchise reboot comes to an end with Halloween Ends. Is Jamie Lee Curtis's second run at a franchise resetting sequel the best one yet? Then it's on to the film Matt's been chomping at the bit for a couple weeks now to discuss. Andrew Dominic's Blonde. Featuring Ana de Armas as the Marilyn Monroe. Matt, it's Netflix's first NC-17 movie. Could it herald the beginning of a re-examination of the rating and its stigma? But things don't end there. The World of Marathon continues, folks, with The Company of Wolves. A Grimm's fairy tale come to life a la Hammer Studios. But was the 80s just a little too late to release something like that? There's a venerable rundown of the big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to close out the big show by sharing our five favorite Halloween candies. I thought we'd keep it nice, short, and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out what you're hoping to score this season, too. You'd have to let us know. In the meantime, though, let's start with the stabby stabby. It's Halloween Ends. Allison? It's nice to see you. You know there are two kinds of evil. There's the evil that exists as an external force that threatens the well-being of the tribe. Survival depends on understanding and awareness and fear of physical threat to our daily lives. The other kind of evil lives inside us, like a sickness or an infection. It's more dangerous because we may not know we're infected deep man <laughs> all right brah why don't you tell the fine folks at home or on the road maybe they're at the gym mm-hmm. you know just lifting their bills just uh getting all sculpted and ripped mm-hmm. remember don't drop the weights folks matt what is halloween ends all about well uh after the events of halloween kills and i can't remember did evil die that night or did evil escape I don't... I'm trying to remember. Evil dies tonight! Okay, no, it actually got away. It got away. Okay, got it. Well, after that, uh, you know, Haddonfield has decided to move on. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis uh, 
Laurie Strode does a 180. She's suddenly like a, a, a wholesome grandma who lives in a nice house and is writing a book for some reason. And uh, the granddaughter... Excuse me, I think the term is gilf. Thank you, continue. <laughs> and the... Anyway, the the granddaughter is now a nurse and everything is getting back to normal. And, um, you know, the granddaughter decides to go on a date with this local kid who has had some troubles in his past. Um inadvertently cause the death of someone and he's been living with it and he decides to go out on a date but but maybe he has the spirit of michael myers and possibly michael myers as a sidekick <laughs> at the same time <laughs> you know uh going on and and evil comes back to life there you go matt there's been a bit of a rumble on the interwebs here about halloween kills mm. some people are a little upset about the direction that David Gordon Green and company have decided to take the franchise in its ultimate chapter. After a, what, revitalization of 2018's Halloween mm-hmm. that really seemed to kind of grab the attention of the fans and they all seemed to really enjoy it. A kind of a loving reset or, you know, continuation from the first film that also maybe a little wink here and there, but was a nice homage. And then there's part two, which is Halloween Kills, which for the most part, I think, was not very well received mm-hmm. by that group. Mm-hmm. To say this, they lost something in that next sequel. Though it's a film I think you and I actually enjoyed. I thought I, I actually rewatched all three of them. Mm-hmm. And I watched the uh, Halloween Kills. I had not seen it before. The unrated version, the director's cut, whatever it is. Okay. A little more gruesome mm-hmm. and far better for it. Okay. There's a particular scene, I think, when Big John... Gets his eyes gouged out, gouged out. That runs a good five, six seconds longer. Mm-hmm. It's much more graphic. Interesting. But uh, I enjoyed that one. I'm not going to lie. So Halloween Ends comes around, Matt, and we're doing something entirely different. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 kind of different. Right. Where our main guy, the main man, Mikey himself, who I believe his middle name is Audrey. Okay. Which is always something I thought was weird. All right. Either way, he is sidelined for about, what, two-thirds of the movie? Yeah, and even when he does come around, it's it's kind of as a background filler character. Playing mop-up duty. <laughs> Was that the right decision? Was it a mistake to sideline Michael in the penultimate, not the penultimate, the ultimate chapter mm. of his rebooted franchise here? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, it Part of the charms of the 2018 Halloween movie is that it's just kind of a throwback to a gory, suspenseful slasher film. That's where Halloween really excels. And when they start trying to get all high-minded with it, it starts to kind of really unravel. Because that's not really what this thing is about, right? And Halloween Kills, there's a lot of vitriol out there on the interwebs. I think you and I... Don't think it's as bad as the reputation would say it is, but this correct this was a big swing and a miss. And I don't know if they were trying to kind of like you said, it has a very Nightmare on Elm Street part duh uh, vibe to it. But it also I don't mm-hmm. know if it had like a let's go for something completely different, a la Halloween three, the original Halloween three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Ugh, I was not a fan of this at all, unfortunately. Listen, I like the fact that they try and do something different, mm-hmm. right? I think I admire the audacity of not only 
did you upset the fans with the second film? Mm-hmm. You know, that felt that, I don't know. I'm still not quite sure what the complaints are for Halloween Kills. Because all it really does is amp up the body count. Right. And maybe that's what it is. It's like a ridiculous notion. Right. Or a notion, a ridiculous amount. Um, and it turns him, maybe it's that because it turns him into kind of this supernatural, unstoppable force. Mm-hmm. Uh, which he seems to gain power by everybody he kills, which again is kind of brought back here in a major way mm-hmm. in Halloween Ends. But I don't know. I, I conceptually I like the idea. I don't know if it's as effectively done as I would have liked, but I, I I'm interested in what they pulled off here, and I like the idea of our boy Corey Cunningham. He he he's babysitting a young boy, and there's a tragic accident. That has haunted him. And I think what the whole, the through line to this entire series, and they've said it a dozen times, we, some people have complained about it in other horror films, is just the experience of the trauma that has haunted Haddonfield for 40, 50 years now, and how it in, infects people, just kind of the, the call back to our clip, it'll infect people and it affects the entire town. And how Corey is brought up into that. Because I think there are moments, even before our tragic event happens with him in the beginning of the film, where there are signs of darkness in this kid. And I have to say, I think that Rowan Campbell, who who plays Corey, does a reasonably good job here dealing with this kind of tortured dark soul who maybe finds potential potentially a light in Allison's character, but he's surrounded by darkness so much outside in his impacting his life internally and externally. And I think I thought that was interesting. I think I wanted to dig into that. I wanted to spend more time there, but we don't really, I think it felt at times more like we had dominoes to knock over. Let me, let me say this. I feel that I wonder if they written this like, what is it like a Friday? Is it Friday the Thirteenth Five? When they, it's actually not Jason mm. who's the killer; it's a guy who's. I think it's five, a new beginning, right? Um, and I felt like what it is is they had this idea, and then they kind of realized said, "No, we 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 can't do that. We got to have Michael Myers in this film at some point. It's going to be a Halloween three revolt all over again." Mm-hmm. So then they tack on the return of Myers to kind of maintain and placate the fandom instead instead of doing possibly like an entire reboot with Corey cunningham taking the mask and the knife and moving forward for like a like a relaunch like maybe that was the idea and then it got scrapped at one point and they kind of merged these two movies together mm-hmm. i don't know does that sound crazy to you uh it doesn't sound crazy to based on what they put up on the screen but i i don't know how effective that would have been yeah yeah and then there's a romance itself right between Corey. And Allison, again, Allison trying to heal the hole, the hole in her heart, the loss in her family, and almost like the in the entire again the entire town. And she thinks maybe she can care for this troubled kid and maybe reclaim a little bit more of her her, her humanity, right? Mm-hmm. But then the problem is, well, yeah, clock's ticking, folks. We got to see some meat, right? So it's. I don't know. I think in the end, the big issue I had with it, it never really evokes anything into me emotionally. I'm mostly, oh, that's interesting. But no one's been killed for a while. And I don't know if I'm just spoiled by the body count of Halloween kills. I'm not sure. But 
I don't know, Matt. I th- there's things I enjoyed about this, and there's things I didn't think were that successful. And what's funny, too, there's a couple times, because Danny McBride kind of co-wrote this. I can tell you exactly what lines he wrote. You know, like the scene in the kitchen where Jamie Curtis makes a joke about her chest or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's clearly a Danny McBride line. Clearly. <laughs> you know, there's a couple of them like that, too, that are in there. But I, I'm soft on this film because I think so many of the Halloween movies are very, 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 very bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't hate this. I guess I'll say that. I didn't hate it. Yeah, see, I did hate it. Um I don't think I, I appreciate the idea of going to a high concept horror film, and I have no problem with going with a high concept horror film. But they can't decide which way they want it. They want it to be mm-hmm. a Halloween film, or do they want it to be a high concept kind of deconstruction of, if not the genre, then Halloween as a franchise in and of itself, right? Yeah, and. They try to walk the line between the two and it just, it doesn't work out either way. It's like, you got to commit to one or the other and they don't, and it just doesn't make sense. And then of course the kind of perfunctory when Michael shows up for the kind of final battle, which you kind of saw in the trailers and stuff, or at least bits and pieces of that in the trailer. It's, it's just so it just feels so tacked on it feels so silly um the whole thing is just i don't know it has some interesting kills in it i guess but even just knowing the fact that's not michael myers and he's not the unstoppable shape just takes something away from it kind of thing yeah i guess so it's mm -hmm. i like though you put it much more succinctly than I did for, after rambling for six minutes. <laughs> you know that the deconstruction of the franchise and what this whole what this stuff is all about, mm-hmm. um, and it's just yeah. I think as as the cliche goes, it's it's just a swing and a miss for the most part. But I again, there is stuff I like the ideas. I just think it's not executed as well as it could have been. I like the, I think some of the kills, like you said, are, are pretty well done. I love this the the confrontation or whatever you want to call it at the uh junkyard there yeah i thought that was pretty cool mm-hmm. you know i mean lots of great little things i think well great probably is too strong a term but lots of fun little interesting things and it's just as cohesively as a whole i just don't think it really comes together i like that david gordon green and rick brad basically say where you're not going to make a sequel with this story right. we are killing michael myers as explicitly and clearly as possible right um, which was nice to have that kind of finality, I guess, in it. But yeah, it's it's okay. It, I, it's okay. Matt, where, where do we go from here then? Do we just do a straight reboot then, like in ten years? What's the plan? We give it back to Rob Zombie one more time? <laughs> I don't. I don't really know where we go with this. I mean, obviously, the most successful in these franchise in this franchise are the original and the 2018 requel. Um, and honestly. They're so successful because there's not that much to those films, right? They are basically a very simple premise, and we're on board because it's fun. I, after that, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you can resurrect this. I mean, someone will try, but I don't, I don't see how it would work. I want them to do what they tried to do before, and not chicken out this time. You know, in part three. Yeah. So the the make it like a an anthology franchise, a different one every year. Yep. I think that's the way to go. Mm. I mean, I could see that working on like a premium cable network or something. Like I, could, I they would yeah. never be able to do that theatrically, but 
put it on Showtime or, or HBO or, or something like that, it could work. What if we do a Michael Myers one every third film? Or maybe he hosts. He introduces the segments by like pointing. <laughs> he just breathes a little heavier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, zombies. Oh, great. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think. Maybe of... he's a, would, do you think he'd use a dry erase board or something at least? <laughs> maybe he has like a speech to text, like a, like a, like Steve. A breathe like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think oh, I think it'd be co- that could be cool, but it would never be a theatrical thing. That would be, that would be you know a streaming thing. All right, uh, a couple interesting things. I think there's a nice Christine reference there, even though it's with a big tow truck. Mm. Um, we got to see the thing uh, briefly in the movie. Yep. There is Nick Castle, the original shape shows up. Mm-hmm. He's the um, the dildo guy. Yeah, but he's also he's also the unmasked version at the end that's also him oh i did not know yeah that. yeah that's also him i thought they went with the, the the courtney guy the whole time all right and then uh the knitting needle from the first film makes comes as a callback as that's well, a which I huge knitting needle it looks more like a railroad spike i was like that is is that is that really what knitting needles are really that big well as a knitter i can tell you um i think for me though matt you might you probably figured out what my favorite little homage was in the entire film. Did you catch it? I don't know. Maybe I did. I don't know. What is it? It's the Halloween three credit font. Oh, the, and the color. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. all the Halloween three stuff. Makes sense. Makes sense. So yeah, I got, not only did we get the masks, but we got the uh, Halloween three font and uh, color as well. So I was happy about that. Matt, I'm gonna give Halloween Ends a C plus, a gentleman C plus. Gentleman C plus. I am going to give um, Halloween Ends a Scallywags D. That that I don't I don't know, Matt. That's what I think of it. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That's a new drop, folks. Hope you're excited. I got another one too. Oh, it's good. I can actually use it for you, Matt. Where is it? I got it. Okay, you ready? This one's for you. Not a fan. Not a fan. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you think at home, folks? If you're still at the gym pumping that iron, uh, grab your phone, shoot us a text, feedback. Once you're done with your reps, uh, feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, let's keep going. I know you're super excited. I'll let you uh, lead with this one, all right? You're going to have to tell us what it's about as well. And then let's see if you have a question for me. I'm going to put you on the spot. So you have about 45, 50 seconds and go. I'm a slave to this Marilyn Monroe. I signed up for a luxury cruise. But like Laura Lightley, I'm in fucking steerage paddling. <laughs> <laughs> now, Miss Monroe, you don't mean a word of what you say. If you weren't Marilyn, who would you be? Miss Monroe, you're cruel. Every one of us, everybody in the world, would give their right arm to be you, and you know it. Oh, I do. Marilyn, you are the sweetheart of this and any other month. Aww. Marilyn, you are a whore, a blonde tramp. Nobody will ever love you, you disgusting tramp. Get off the via radio, television, 
and out of our movies. You're poisoning our children. Not a fan. There it is. Like movie critics. Some of them love Marilyn. Some of them hate Marilyn. So Matt has a lot to say about this, but I wonder, was Matt, Matt were you a fan of Blonde or were you... Not a fan. <laughs> I don't know where to even begin with this film. So this is... um. This is a fictionalized version of the life of Marilyn Monroe based off of the Joyce Carol Oates book of the same name called Blonde. Chris. Yeah. Having Ooh, seen having seen this. <laughs> yes. Is this the way we can expect? I'm not a huge fan of biopics. You know this. Is having mm-hmm. like a completely fictionalized version of a biopic the way to go? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, sure, why not? You get yourself a lot of leeway to do this, tell a story you want to tell. If you want to have an abortion cam where the camera, you get the point of view <laughs> of the vagina. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. It's a lot, you literally a lot to work with there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I enjoy the idea of a somewhat fictionalized, well, let's put it this way. A lot, I think all your authorized biopics tend to have some fictionalized elements to them true all right we, I, if you wanted me to talk 45 minutes about bohemian rhapsody again i will <laughs> but <laughs> you know there's i shouldn't ask but, but yeah to take something in i i don't know as an artist i want to say yes there are things about blonde that as an artist i found fascinating and interesting and things that i want to promote mm-hmm. as a viewer of blonde I want to make sure Andrew Dominic never makes another film again. <laughs> I no, I'm being hyperbolic there. I I'm watching this, Matt. I feel like we're definitely watching a piece of art and not a traditional kind of movie, mm-hmm. right? A not a it, and it's it goes farther than just a fictionalized story of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, it's there's a whole kind of different vibe thing that Dominic's going for in this film. And the, the problem is, is it, is it good? But what about you, Matt? Do you think opening the door to having just fictionalized versions of people's lives is a interesting take to go with? Uh, so I'm not a fan of biopics. I think they're very kind of, um, what's the word? I'm indulgent, I would say. They're very, for the most part don't necessarily make for a cohesive or good story. This I can't say is a cohesive or good story, but it is something. It is something. And I was watching it and at the very least it has a vision. I'll give it that much. Um, If all of them end up being like this, I would say, please don't ever do that again. But uh, as an experiment, it's very interesting one. Yeah. And I'm all for doing something different with a traditional, maybe even stale, biopic genre mm-hmm. i mean conceptually I'm, I'm on board for something like this uh I, it's frustrating because i don't know if this is as successful as i'd like it to be like l- let me give you a good example man i love guy madden's my winnipeg i forced you in espo back when the show first started to watch this movie because i loved it now that is an interesting biopic that's guy madden's kind of story of his upbringing mm-hmm. in winnipeg and this kind of this fantastical version of his childhood and he hired actors to play his family a la um, nate field nate, nathan fielder right in his new show on hbo which i haven't seen mm-hmm. like a it's like a rehearsal is that what it's called uh but still so i love experimental art biopics it's just that 
this stuff, I don't know, like Marilyn holding herself as a baby in a burning room in her childhood home. <laughs> I mean, it's just a lot of it is... Is it's very over the top, Matt. Yeah, and perhaps too over the top. And this has some issues too with it. I think like so. Bobby Cannavale plays Joe DiMaggio, mm-hmm. and there are allegations brought forth in Oates's book, which again is a fictionalized tale, just like this film, that DiMaggio abused her physically. Now that's is a did it happen? Possibly, but that was never substantiated mm-hmm. in any way, mm-hmm. right? And then the stuff with JFK is a whole other thing. And in front, it's funny, man, I'm watching this thing. I'm like, why is this thing NC-17? Well, it's not really that bad. I mean, she's topless in it a lot, yeah. but it's not enough to get me an NC-17, right? Right. And then the JFK scene shows up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. That's I get That's what did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I think it's too, it's, it's, there's lots of interesting decisions. Like the scene where she meets Arthur Miller. And they're at the, I should say, they're in the restaurant, whatever it is, they're talking. And then, so Dominic shoots her entirely differently. Mm-hmm. The light, the lighting changes, her makeup changes, and she looks like an entirely different person. And it's really interesting. There's a lot of interesting, fascinating stuff in this movie. It's just that it's, it's too messy. There's too much going on at once, I think. And you kind of feel unmoored while you're watching this thing. And that made me wonder, Matt, is that the point? Right. Are we? It, it, we're supposed to be experiencing what it's like to be Marilyn at this time, right? So of course we're going to feel unmoored. Of course we're going to feel like we're drawn in a bunch of different directions, like she did. But then that's my big problem with this film, and I'm hitting my desk. That's how worked up I am about mm-hmm. it. Outside of the artsy stuff, which I'm going to give you a lot of leeway as a failed artist, I'm going to give you a lot of runway on that. The problem is that how he portrays Monroe is he robs her of any agency whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And by telling this fictionalized version in this art arts up version, like think of like, you know, coked up like the movie, you know, like, like, like our, our, our buddy would say, call a crackhead, you know, just a a really super arts up version is that he ends up doing the same thing to her in this film that he's showing other people have done to her. Mm -hmm. He's exploiting her and making her a victim, I think, all over again. Yeah. And that's my biggest problem with it. He exploits her name and her life for his artistic endeavor. And that bothers me. That bothers me. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. And I think what is unfortunate about it is, is I don't know if people are going to come away from this thinking that this thing is on some level factual. Like, is this supposed to be a biopic? And they portray Monroe as this kind of helpless victim throughout the whole thing. And like her whole life is just one series of victimizations after another. And I don't think, I don't know that I don't in fact I don't know anything about Marilyn Monroe really except at the very highest highest surface level but I highly doubt that this woman had no control in her life at all I think yes she was probably you know a victim of the system back then and being a woman back then and everything else but just the, the woman back then basically yeah so. but to completely say that she is 
just subject to the whims of those around her and she's constantly just like this you know raft adrift in the ocean by herself that are completely you know at the mercy of the of what's going on around her it just it seemed insulting and i and just the artistic some of the artistic decisions like her having a conversation with like one of her fetuses about aborted fetuses from before is just insane to me like what is even going on here with this with this uh with what they're trying to say um i don't know i i think it's almost like a dangerous movie granted marilyn monroe is a piece of old hollywood you know she has like this kind of larger than life reputation or this uh you know, kind of tragic reputation at the same time. Uh, yeah. But it always makes me, but it makes me worried about like, are we going to get this kind of treatment with even more, like actually more important figures, like historical figures or something like that. If people kind of say, Oh, I can make this movie and people are think it's real and completely give you an agenda of what I think about this particular individual. Like what if we get the fictionalized version of Lincoln, you know, and find out that he mm-hmm. had like, gladiator pits, hunted, you know underneath the uh, under, hunted vampires yeah exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> sorry i stepped out of your joke i apologize uh yeah and it's also i think other times where i find it disrespectful from what i understand they actually shot in the room where she died mm. they shot her death scene in the same room wow and i don't know if i'd call that bad taste but it ain't good <laughs> and I don't know. It's frustrating to me. I read that Nick Cave said, who also helped, I think, co-wrote the score for it. It's a little biased. So it's his all-time favorite movie. Mm. So there's that. But it, it, it felt like, I don't know. Like if you were to do like a cover of Candle in the Wind by Guar <laughs> or something, or just something that doesn't really make sense. The, the, BTS, the BTS boys come out and bring out uh, Candle in the Wind. Yeah. <laughs> Unreliable. No, it just, like I said, it's an emotionally, it's an emotional visual puzzle, man. Meant to keep us as grounded as possible, but in turn, why it does that, when it leans into its artistry, it does so by exploiting her. And that's my big problem with it. I'm still, I'm giving it right now a C. Mm. Because there's enough interesting things here. And again, I haven't even mentioned this yet. The Armist, I think, is fantastic. Yeah, she commits. I think she's really, really good here. I, she, what I understand, she worked very hard to drop her accent in this, and I think it was great. I really, I'm, I think, one of the better performances I've seen of this year in a film. I think she's that good in this. But the problem is, she's caught up in a, a whirlwind of art and exploitation that Dominic presents her in. Yeah, and it's just, it's, uh, it's too bad. But it does no justice to Norma Jean, except perhaps by the performance of Ana de Armas. That's what I would say. So I gave it a C. Yeah, um, this film is something. Um, and it's been a few weeks since I watched it. I think I will give it a C as well. I don't know if I particularly like this film, but I agree with you that de Armas is great in it. I think it's a very good performance. Um, yeah. That's about all I can say about it. It's 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 a thing. It's a thing that exists. And it's it's a C yeah. film. So, Matt, this is the first streaming platform to host an NC-17 film. And I will ask your opinion on that. Will this film help ease 
other streaming platforms into accepting NC-17 rated content? Will it help kind of dissolve the stigma around that rating? I think it'll really depend on a couple things. One, I don't know how you judge um, how many people watch the thing. I think, do you think DeArmas is going to get actually like some kind of nomination? You, you know, I think that could maybe drive it. Like if it shows up, you know, it could get some quote unquote legitimacy. I, think, I don't know if an Academy Award nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're starting to lean into now that season too. We're a few weeks away, I think, when that starts to really hit. But she'll get nominations some places, I'm sure. Maybe the Independent Spirit Awards. Maybe some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe some local film critic societies. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's too soon to tell. I doubt it. You know, I, I, I mean, streaming is such a kind of a Wild West thing, and it's so easy for, you know, anybody to find anything on those things. I think they they need to be careful about curating their content, you know? Yeah. Still, I applaud the fact that they did it. Uh, I think that that rating has been such an anathema to move to theater chains mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that if it's going to survive in any capacity, maybe the streaming platforms would be the way to go. But you just have to find one daring enough, I guess, to do. And it's sad that we even have to say it have to be daring. I think I think Criterion would probably do it. Yeah, maybe. Um, Shutter, I'm sure, for horror-related content, would love to get their hands on an NC-17 <laughs> horror film. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's time to grow up, people. It's such a puritanical nation it drives me crazy. What are your thoughts on Blonde? Shoot an email at feedback at the first run dot com. Matt, let's talk about what's coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, October twenty fifth. We are staring Halloween right in that William Shatner updated mask face right there, and one of the films coming out in four K is probably one of the best haunted house kind of ghost movies ever made. When was the house last occupied? Let's see, um, about 12 years ago. It's been with the Historical Society for the past 12 years. There we go. There were plans at one time to turn it into some kind of a museum. But I don't know. I guess the house was meant to be lived in. Why hasn't it been lived in? Well, I've only been with the society for a year now. The impression I get is that they haven't tried very hard with this place. Of course, it does need a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Severn Films, Matt, is putting out The Changeling, mm. featuring George C. Scott, in 4K. The uh, first limited edition push comes with a slipcover and a CD soundtrack. It's going to run you about 45 bones, but um, Changeling is top shelf haunted house kind of horror stuff. So if you haven't seen it, at least try and rent it or track it down. It is creepy on creepy and a really kind of fun little ride. Are you a fan of the Changeling? I've never seen it. Oh, you got to check that one out. Check that out, my boy. What else coming up in 4K? Well, in Blu-ray as well. Jordan Peele's latest Nope. It's a steel book from Best Buy. Walmart has a unique slip cover. You got a Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos track on that. Some deleted scenes, a gag reel, and more on Nope. Uh, you liked Nope, I think, a little bit more than I did. I thought it was good, but you felt it was yeah, I thought Tony it was, the Tiger I thought it was great. Really good. Yeah. 
And then John Boyega stars in Breaking about a Marine War veteran who faces mental and emotional challenges, Matt, when he tries to reintegrate back into civilian life. IFC is putting out official competition. This is the um, satire featuring Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz about a wealthy businessman who hires a filmmaker to help make a smash hit film. The Invitation, which is the latest vampire movie. I think this may even still be in theaters. It's about a young woman who's courted and swept off her feet only to realize a gothic conspiracy is afoot. Like I said, it's vampires. Includes an unrated version of the film. I hear it's not that good, unfortunately. I think we saw the trailer for this for like weeks in front of other stuff. But um, it was on our uh, to-do list, but we never got to do it. Also coming out from Music Box, Medusa. In order to resist temptation, Mariana and her girlfriends try their best to control everything and everyone around them, Matt. However, the day will come when the urge to scream will be stronger than it's ever been. Cinema Guild is putting out in front of your face. She manages her daily life with a sense of mindfulness while keeping a grave secret to herself. And she decides to meet with a young director who asked her to join his project. And after they meet, Matt, there is sudden rainfall and thunder. And so they cancel their plans and the movie ends. Matt, ooh, speaking of Guar, Sh- Shudder is putting out a documentary called This Is Guar. Wow. Are you a Guar fan? I have never listened to the Guar. Me neither. I have never listened to him. There you go. Well, if you're a fan, folks, you can pick this up now. New to Blu-ray, Craig Turner is putting out a 4K restoration of the director's cut, but I think it's still just a Blu-ray, of Eve's Bayou. Includes uh, the original 100-minute theatrical release as well, audio commentary on the director's cut. Dr. Hugo, a short film by the director Lemons as well, which is a proof of concept for Eve's Bayou. A new interview with the director, cash reunion footage, and more. Warner Archive is putting out Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is the OG one from 1931. Kino Lorber is putting out The Rainmaker. This is not the uh, John Grisham adaptation. This is uh, a film starring Catherine Hepburn and Burt Lancaster. Matt, Kino Lorber is going all out on this one, Matt. A 6K restoration from the original VistaVision negative. Wow. 6K. That's a lot of tech to throw at a movie that I, I, I confess I've never heard of. <laughs> Kino's also putting out the Montgomery Cliff-led film Lonely Hearts, as well as Counterfeit Trader featuring William Holden. MVD is putting out At Close Range featuring Sean Penn and Chris Walken. I remember this used to play on HBO all the time in the, I think, was it the 80s? Never watched it. Really? Yeah. Have you seen At Close Range? No. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Sean Penn is putting out a... Uh, Sean Penn. Severin is putting out a box set called The House of Psychotic Women Rarities Collection. This is what Matt calls uh, Mrs. Howell every now and then. Anyway, Footprints on the Moon, The Other Side of the Underneath, Identikit, and I Like Bats. All included in this set. 4K restorations for Identikit and Footprints. 2K restorations for I Like Bats and The Other Side of the Underneath. Includes an introduction by... Carol Ajansi, who is author of The House of Psychotic Women, an extended work print vision version of the film is included for the other side of the underneath as well, Matt. They're also putting out My Grandpa is a Vampire, an individual release, Dracula vs. Frankenstein, The Plaga Zombie Trilogy, and then Tales to Keep You Awake. Synapse is kicking out The Kindred in a standard edition. It's a 4K restoration of the unrated version of the film before they had like a super deluxe super edition of it. Now there's your standard edition if you wanted to hold off and not pay for all the extra goodies. 
Uh, what else are caught coming out? The Magic Myth and Mutilation, the micro-budget cinema of Michael J. Murphy from 1967 to 2015. 26 movies in this collection. I'm not going to read them all. You'll have to do your own research on that. We talk about the Changeling Matt and its 4K restoration. Also coming out in 4K. Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Columbia Classics Volume 3, which includes It Happened One Night, From Here to Eternity. Oh, I love that movie. To Sir With Love, The Last Picture Show, Annie, and As Good As It Gets. Also coming out in 4K, Matt, The Usual Suspects. It gets a new 4K 16-bit restoration. And then the Brian De Palma film, Dressed to Kill, gets a Dolby Vision HDR presentation of the film. as well as a brand new audio commentary. The uh, Last Detail is getting a 4K restoration as well. And then Vinegar Syndrome, Matt, is putting out Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in 4K. A brand new restoration from the original 35 camera, or 35 millimeter original camera negative, if you like to say it that way. Uh, newly scanned and restored. It's got brand new audio commentaries, a whole ton of new interviews, uh, new featurettes. This thing is loaded. If you're a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 fan, you're never going to need another version of this. All right? Mm-hmm. It is loaded. I got it on Blu-ray from uh, Scream Factory a few years ago, which I think is now out of print. But this makes that obsolete. Now, I'll say, I think that movie's okay. <laughs> I don't think it's that good. Mm-hmm. And Toby Hooper comes back. And it, what's funny is it's com- it's a comedy, horror comedy, really, more than it is. Like, you know, it takes a chainsaw massacre. is unrelentingly terrifying. Yes. This is goofy. Right. But it's still entertaining and fun. Matt, your straight to DVD pick of the week. I'm going to go with Pinocchio 964. <laughs> Pinocchio 964 is a lobotomized cyborg sex slave. He is thrown out into the street by his owners, Matt, because of his inability to maintain an erection. He is befriended by a criminally insane, memory-wiped homeless girl. Meanwhile, the corporate entity who manufactured and sold him plots to kill him because of his malfunction. And I swear to God, I think I've chosen this one before, before this segment. You may have. I mean... Chris, we've done how many hundreds of episodes? What number are we on at this point? Oh, um, we are at, I want to say six, but are we in sevens? No, 628. So I think we both can be forgiven if we repeat ourselves sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see a word cloud from me of what I say during our review discussions as well. Mm. Uh, what should we be streaming this week, Matt? That's not... 964. It is... Um, so on, over on Showtime... They've released a uh, TV show, a series version of Let the Right One In. Um, It's taking a different tack where the kind of fundamental couple is uh, the young vampire is the daughter and the caretaker is her father. And it's kind of the relationship between the two of them and what he has to do from a, like a parental perspective to try and keep her alive. Um, first episodes out, I quite enjoyed it. Second one is probably airing in about two minutes. Um, so it's, it's uh, on Sunday nights, uh, I think at 10 o'clock. I've quite enjoyed it so far. Very nice. Good. Uh, you're a big fan of that whole, uh, I guess, franchise is the word sure. to use at this point. Huh? Sure. Yeah, I like them. Good for you. Good for you. I still haven't pulled that one. All right, Matt. Let's talk a little bit about the next film in our werewolf marathon. It's called... Is it in the company? I have just the company of wolves. The company of wolves, yeah. All right. So I don't know if it's an LLC or not. (laughs) Seeing is believing. 
the little needle always points north, no matter where I go. So I always know exactly where I am. I don't believe it, even though I see it. It was this compass that brought me safe through the wood. But you lost your way in the wood. But I found you. Are you sorry? No, I'm not sorry. They're clowns of village boys. Well, then. But don't you know you should never leave the path? I've only just got onto the path. I was perfectly safe before. Aren't you afraid of the wolves? Why should I be frightened of the wolves? You must know the worst wolves are hairy on the inside. Old wise tales. Peasant superstition. What? A bright young girl, pretty, intelligent girl like you believing in werewolves? It's just downright offensive, really. <laughs> Matt, the company of wolves. A, uh, a young woman. She is in this kind of country house, and she's not well. And she starts having these beautiful odd gothic dreams that she's in like the late 18th century type of a thing and uh she encounters and parts of her family where angel lansbury shows up as her grandmother and other stuff and it's basically just a we're we're living in this young girl's dreams basically right? right and she's and there's a weird melding of realities a couple times through as well this is neil jordan's second film all right, he did The Crying Game, Interview with a Vampire, a bunch of... He's actually... His next movie is a Philip Marlowe movie featuring Liam Neeson, oh. which I had no idea oh. as Marlowe. So that might be worth checking out. Maybe. So, Matt, Company of Wolves, the latest in our werewolf marathon. And I got to say, for the most part, are we considering ourselves underwhelmed yeah, so far I think in this so. marathon? I think so, yeah. And I had heard a lot of good things about The Company of Wolves, so I thought I was thinking this might be a high point. And was it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, as an artistic effort, sure. It's a very uh, surrealist look um, at the werewolf legend. Um, the kind of leans heavily into the idea of like stories and Little Red Riding Hood shouting shout outs. It's a very phantasmagoric, you know, very interesting looking but kind of obtuse uh, werewolf film. Matt. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. No, Matt. I mean, all right, here's the thing. Yes. All right. <laughs> Everything I said just... was true. The only thing Chris doesn't like is my underwhelmed tone in it. But everything I said was true. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. This was great. I had a blast with this thing. It's, it's, it's in a weird way, too. It's kind of a, an anthology film. Right, because mm -hmm. and I love my horror anthologies, and it because there are like different adventures as different parts of her dreams kind of take over. Right, it's got quite the cast. Right, Angela Lansbury, David Warner shows up, and Sarah Patterson who plays our young girl. Uh, I like interesting too that the wolves are always just men. Right, mm -hmm. there's a double meaning there that you know like. Oh, it's a the wolf. You mean it's a subtle? Man. It's a subtle, double. I mean, there's the <laughs> yeah. symbolism is so subtle. I, I'm surprised you caught up on that, Chris. Uh, but Matt, it purposely has this kind of dreamlike quality to it. The use of miniatures mm -hmm. when we're looking through the woods to the house and stuff. It, it's just, 
I don't know, man. I, there's a, just a lot of wonderful, beautiful little fun details in the, of this kind of this dream, this Grimm's fairy tale kind of thing brought to life, and I just fell in love with it. I was, I just wanted to just live in this world because it was so. I think what it is is I love those old Hammer films from like the 50s and 60s, and this has. That whole feel to it. As I said, everything has a very strong dreamlike state to it. It has that kind of hammer set construction with like the trees and stuff yeah. that they kind of shoot through. And it's just, it's a weird um, hyper reality set design where, like you said, what was the word you said? Surreal? I'm blank. Phantasmagoric? Sure, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And there's this wonderful, fantastical, nightmarish air about the entire thing. And for me, it kind of represented a bygone era of filmmaking that we don't really see anymore. And I loved it. I loved, too, the... It had that kind of circa... Because it's the 80s again, folks. You can't go wrong with the 80s. It's 1984. That Disney was still doing back then, too. Where there are these these kind of childhoody kind of films, but have some real terror mm-hmm. and horror moments. I will say, I think the the werewolf transformations in this, the skin ripping transformations, they're something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really well done and very unsettling, and it's just an enchanting little film, Matt, and I loved it. Yeah, I think um, it's it's an interesting film. I I think. I don't. I don't want people to think it's a bad film, and it's. I think it's the best one we've seen so far. I just didn't. Oh, hands down. I didn't uh, fall into instant gushing love with it, unlike my esteemed co-host did. But I mean, I enjoyed it. But I mean, it's more. I really hesitate to call this thing a horror film. It is really just a kind of allegorical fable about you know sexual mm-hmm. awakenings and becoming a woman and having to watch yeah. out for you know, the wolf man that's out in the, in the woods, who's just waiting for you to step off the path, uh, you know, the straight and narrow, and they're just waiting in the wings to get you kind of thing. And I, I mean, as all of those things, I think it's, it's, if it can be a little heavy handed, a little unsubtle, um, it is, it is definitely got a message. And I, I think I applaud it for the kind of vision that it has. I, it just as a straight up, werewolf horror movie i wouldn't even describe this as a werewolf movie i would call this as like a dark fairy tale and if you take it on those merits i think it's it's quite good it's fun i i I enjoyed it i just didn't i was just hoping for something more i guess traditional horror and i didn't get that wait well i think there are some truly traditional traditionally horrific scenes in Mm -hmm. this film but sure but you are you telling me like this the the path that they're supposed to stay on to stay is represents uh just sexual purity and a lack of uh wow man that's pretty deep. <laughs> I mean Angela Lansbury is literally saying when there she's going walking with a boy don't stray off the path stay on yep. the path that's that is and Angela Lansbury by the way is a is a freak she is a creepy grandma I don't she really is is a terrifying old woman rude (laughs) the other thing too i find offensive as a man who occasionally maybe has a certain malady that is shared by the wolf man people in this oh the unibrow 
perhaps <laughs> <laughs> that I have to maintain. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't like the fact that this. I think this movie may be chiefly responsible for that being a social. No, faux that is that people. is a that was a legitimate in legend sign of the werewolf. If you had a unibrow, that was considered a sign that you were a werewolf from ancient legend. Well, there you go. The other one. Well, I'm not. You're not. But I forget what was the other one. I think the one of the other ones was like. I can't remember. I think it was. Either your fingers were all the same length, or your pointer finger was like way longer than the rest of your of your uh, fingers. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't have that issue, and I'd say my unibrow isn't terribly strong, but it'd be noticeable if I didn't, uh, if you didn't take care of it. Take care of my business. If you didn't manscape on your on yeah, your yeah. face. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Good times. What about you, folks? Do you have a unibrow? Um, shoot us an email. <laughs> no, I'm gonna go mad. I'm gonna go. I, yeah, I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it. Do it. I'm gonna do it. A minus. A minus. Company of wolves. Yeah, I'm gonna give it. I think I'm gonna give it a B. As a horror oh, film, I could. I'm alright with that. As a horror film, not really a horror film. Like a dark fantasy to traumatize your preteen daughters with. Yeah. Works for me. I'll take that B. <laughs> Hands down and twice on Sunday. Have you seen A Company of Wolves? It is currently streaming on Peacock, correct? Correct. You can check it out there. Also, I will let you know, just because we're friends, between two both of us here, Scream Factory is putting out a Blu-ray and a UHD of this, like in a week. All right. I know what Chris is so, putting on his on his long, long list. Uh, you know, my holidays are already so screwed. There's a new David Bowie box set coming out. Mm-hmm. They're... Queen is finally putting out the Miracle box set that they've been teasing for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. I There's a special edition of that box set, Matt, that comes with the a re- reproduction of the rare Miracle promo that was put out to like radio stations. It's like a big collector's item amongst fans. Yeah. It's like an exact replica of it. And I was going to buy it, but then you have to you can only buy it from the Queen store. And it would have cost me with shipping two hundred and fifty dollars. That is insane. I could do it. I, I couldn't do it. I'm proud of you. You shouldn't have done it. So, I will say the vinyl though in the box set includes "Too Much Love Will Kill You," which was originally part of the Miracle album that they ended up taking it off. Mm. So the it's exclusive to the regular special edition, which you can buy on your Amazon's other places, which is a lot cheaper. Which I may have bought it. I don't know. Maybe I pre-ordered it. I couldn't say. <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> so, I've locked in my Christmas presents. It's the Bowie box set and the Queen Miracle set, and that's and I'm pretty much done. That's it. I do want to get those new AirPods. I'm not an AirPods guy. I hate the the, the way they look. Yeah. But the AirPods Pro Gen Two have the Dolby app. Not Dolby app. They have the um, surround sound. Oh, do they? Built into them. Okay. Interesting. Which is uh, I don't remember what they call it. A uh, lossless app. No, it's not Apple lossless. Uh, they call it um. I think they just call it Dolby Audio. Okay. Isn't that what they call it? I don't know. Either way, it's built into the little headphone or drivers. So is it, you know, another two hundred, two hundred fifty dollars well spent? Two fifty. Two fifty. Maybe maybe Santa will bring it to me. I doubt it. Santa doesn't like me. Feedback at the first run.com. Let's move on. There's a lot <laughs> this show is running long. Thankfully it's Matt's week to edit. I'm very excited Boo. about that. <laughs> uh let's wrap everything up and this will be fast. Mm. Matt, we'll talk about our five favorite candies. We can't possibly talk like that for like an hour. 
We're in Andre's exclusive continental restaurant, which caters to only the most discriminating clientele. How's the food, sweetheart? Rotten. That's nice. Where's the stuff? The stuff is here now. Great new day sensation. Light and free now. Get you elevation. Enough is never enough. Enough is never enough of the stuff. The stuff. The taste that makes you hungry for more. The stuff. Taste that delivers. It certainly does. Let me tell you, Matt. Are you a big fan of Larry Cohen's The Stuff? Please, God, tell me you've seen The Stuff. I've seen The Stuff. I would hesitate to call myself a big fan of The Stuff, but I have seen it. All right. The Stuff is good. I think it's one of Larry Cohen's stronger efforts. If you haven't seen The Stuff, folks, it was on Shutter for a while. I don't know where it is now, mm-hmm. if it's anywhere. Yeah, it's around. It'll pop back up again. You can watch about uh, Killer Marshmallow Fluff. Good stuff. <laughs> I, didn't even, even, uh, I didn't even mean to do that. Hi-oh. Holy crap, I'm good. <laughs> I am good. Matt, what's your... Th- I'm going to go first. I'll let you, I want you to have the number one. Let's put it this way. If we don't have the same number one... Show's over. I don't know what you're thinking about with your Halloween... No, I don't worry about your Halloween candy affections. And I feel bad for a little first run. <laughs> Hopefully you have different ones, though, so you don't steal it. Either way, the fifth best Halloween candy, Matt. If you're asking me, and you are, because you're listening, I want to go with the little baby Three Musketeers bars. Oh, Really? A three musketeers? Like three oh my god, Chris. Yeah. Chris, you've just thrown everything into disarray and uh and calling it into question. Three musketeers is like the most disappointing candy bar there is. It just tastes like fluffy Absolutely nothing. Not. What you gotta do is you throw it in the fridge. You gotta get that sucker cold. I see. All right, and then you eat it later, and it is good stuff. I haven't had a three musketeers bar in how old am I now? I'm gonna say twenty years. Wow, really? So I do not know if they're still good. <laughs> They may be horrible now, okay. as far as I know. But when I was a kid, I'm out there trick-or-treating, or I'm throwing eggs, whichever mm-hmm. one. depends. That's on you, sure. homeowner. Sure. Uh, if I got the Three Musketeers bar, I was one happy camper. Interesting. Well, I guess we're both getting our, our controversial choices right out of the way. My number five is, is a controversial choice. Not a lot of people like coconut, but I really do. So I'm going to go with the Almond Joy. I like Almond Joys. Yeah. I think they are yeah. a little bit of tr- of the tropics. I mean, compared to the artificial nothing that is a Three Musketeers, I, 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 Almond Joy is fantastic. It's got coconut. It's got nuts. It's got chocolate. It's great. Nope. No. I uh, Almond Joys are horrible. I hate coconut. It's part of what it yeah. is. I cannot. My disdain for coconut is so strong. It's one of those things because it's such a it's such a powerful taste. There's like a hint of coconut. It's like all I can taste. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have despised coconut. Well, and that's, probably because I used to drink like sun sun lotion, sun tanning lotion. Or is that sun, what it is? Sunblock. All the pina coladas your, your mom was drinking while you were. Yeah, yeah. Don't like pina coladas either. Yeah. Thanks, mom. <laughs> no, coconuts for, you know, I don't know, rap scallions. Number four is not necessarily, not the Three Musketeers really are either, or any of these, I guess. Well, one of mine is, le- two of mine are legit Halloween only. Okay. Of uh, the three, are kind of, you can kind of get year-round. Gotcha. But when I was looking forward to it, what I was going to get, it would be just M&M's. Mm. I was a big M&M's freak back in the day. Mm-hmm. Loved them. Loved them. My mom used to buy the big bags. Yeah. Old school big bags. Yeah. You know, we had red M&M's back when it was uncool and dangerous. <laughs> and, but I used to love those M&M's. And what I would do, Matt, I figured it out. What's that? 
my my mom used to get the little well she'd get both sometimes she'd get the little pretzel sticks and then the big rods mm-hmm. right and what you do is you eat a chunk just a, a handful of m&ms like choking on it and then you eat a pretzel right afterwards mm-hmm. or vice versa yeah and that combination before they actually started making like chocolate covered pretzels yeah. remember i cannot stress to you people how old i am but that combo was top shelf stuff. So uh, M and M's. I never liked uh, peanut M and M's. Really, never a fan. Really, even though I like nuts, I never liked peanut M and M's. It seems like a, like a, like abomination combining those two things to me. It does, which is weird because like that is weird. Yeah, I I like I like yeah. I don't mind it now, but I still don't like peanut M and M's. I like the combination in other capacities, but not a uh, peanut M. Interesting. Well, since Chris was basically describing his little homemade treat, which was uh, sweet and salty. I'm going to go with one that starts sweet and salty right out of the gate. Payday. Salty peanuts around a very sweet uh, caramel. I don't know what it is, but people don't give Payday enough love. It is just, it's a grandpa candy bar. I understand that. But I'm telling you guys, it is delicious. Even my daughter likes Paydays. And she doesn't even really like nuts that much. But she likes Paydays. There is something about those, those salty peanuts. And then you hit that sweet caramel on the inside fantastic yeah i think i'd imagine that you mm-hmm. no i never really had the payday no? i didn't i don't yeah i was here's my problem i was never an adventurous kid when it came to my food sure. i never was sure so i mean that's fair my number three then is hmm i may have yeah no you know what it is matt i'm gonna be honest with you you ready are you sitting down I have, with this? You, i'm obviously sitting down you can see me uh, I'm gonna go. I'm trying to think of it as a particular flavor was my favorite. Yeah, I think so. I'm gonna go grape blow pop. Oh, interesting, interesting choice. Blow pops. I never liked the cherry ones. No, but watermelon, grape, sour apple, strong contender. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's strawberry one too, right? I think that was that was tight. But uh, the grape blow pop was the way to go. Yeah, you got that hard candy shell. You crack through that, maybe chip a tooth. Then you get to that gum that lasts for a good five Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And then you're moving on to the next one. Yeah. But um, blow pops, can't go wrong. Now, so did you do like the Tootsie Roll, the Tootsie Pop thing? Or where like you would get boarded and you would start crunching down until so you'd get a little bit of your 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 candy shell in your gum and you'd have like crunchy gum for a little bit? Once in a while, mm. I tend to more just go hardcore on the on the candy shell first. Gotcha, gotcha. I didn't make just no. You're right though. You you get the little crumbs of the of the candy shell mm-hmm. in the gum. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. That was that was the baller way to do it. <laughs> Very good. All right, Chris. Um, so even though Nestle is an awful corporation, Nestle Crunch Bars are pretty good. But yeah. what would be even better than chocolate with crisp rice in it? Chocolate with crisp rice with some creamy caramel in the middle. And that is a hundred grand bar. Again, a grandpa underappreciated candy bar. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it has I don't think they're made by Nestle, so you can at least avoid that if you really want some crisp rice in your chocolate. But then you add the caramel to it. Chef's kiss. Delightful. I don't think I've ever had a hundred grand bar no. either. No. That is. Uh, you need to go to you need to go to a five yeah. below and get all the weird old candy bars that they have in there. I'm still waiting for Werther's to be match number one. <laughs> Up to see my number two. Then I will not accept any talkback on this. Okay. All right. But Brock's 
Malamar pumpkins. Okay. Not the candy corn. <laughs> the pumpkins. I buy a bag every year. And I blow through it in a week. It's the one thing. That's like my one guilty pleasure, really, that I still in- indulge in is the Malamar pumpkins. Is it Malamar? Is that the right word? I'm saying that word, right? No, I thought Malamar is... like a marsh... Is, uh, is, uh, yeah, you're... Malamars are... are marshmallow they're a specific candy. thing yeah they're a marshmallow candy which i was about to get very upset what? because i hate marshmallows with a, an all-consuming passion but you're talking about the the candy corns that are like in pumpkin form they're like a much more substantial form yes of the candy corn yes i said it was like a malamar type thing i'm a bobber mellow cream that's the word i'm looking for mm-hmm. yeah okay mellow creme mellow creme yeah, you want to talk about grandpa candy? Holy crap, Chris. <laughs> yeah. No, those sir. candy pumpkins are the way to go, folks. You give me a bag of those mellow cream pumpkins. Wow. Um, I guess I'm going to be boring. Um, I mean, honestly, when I was a kid, top two candy bar, candy in the bag, Snickers, man. That thing was a substantial, even the fun size, substantial. Nougat, caramel, chocolate, and peanuts. You couldn't even eat it in one bite. It had to be, it was like a two-bite thing, even on the fun size. So it felt like you were actually eating real food when you were eating a Snickers. I think my problem is when I was a kid, I didn't really care for caramel. Really? Yeah, I've softened on it. I I enjoy it now, but uh, back when I was a kid, it just was weird. Not a fan. Really? Not a fan. Interesting. Or, as they say. Not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> so, my number one, then, sticking with the pumpkin theme, is the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Pumpkin. Okay. Now, you could say you like the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, mm-hmm. or even the little mini ones that the cheap families give out. Yeah. But, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Pumpkin? Yeah. Is otherworldly. And should be the hands-down number one for any kid. Or adult. What's your number one? I'm assuming it's a peanut butter cup, at least in some capacity. Yeah, it is the peanut butter cup pumpkin. It is that. There's something about exactly the, the one. The it, it, it's just because it has so much more of that indescribable cheap peanut butter that they put in there that I don't understand why it's good. It shouldn't be good, but it is. And there's just so much more of it compared to the chocolate, and it's it's the way to go. It's closely followed up by the Easter egg version that comes out around Easter. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a good pick. What's the Christmas one? The treats. Treats, Christmas yeah. Tree. Those are really good, too. That's but they come in too. third at holiday-themed ones. I'll allow it. I'll agree <laughs> to that. Yeah, that's fine. Honorable mentions, Matt, for Halloween candies that you liked? Uh, Twix, Dots. Uh, they pull your teeth out. You know, those little gummy candies that you had. Um, and this is another controversial take. Sometimes instead of getting Twizzlers, which I'm not a big fan of, you would get red vines. And I do like red vines. I was never a big fan of those at all. There was a a Twizzler that wasn't, was it strawberry that I actually thought wasn't bad? Mm. My mom used to like the licorice. My mom used to like black licorice too. It's gross. Disgusting. Must be an old white lady thing. (laughs) Um, all right. So. My honorable mentions would be Sour Patch Kids. Mm, good one. Uh, Butterfingers, which I came to late in my trick-or-treating life. Gotcha. I didn't like them when I was young. But in my early, my, my late 
what, 11s and 12s, yeah. 13, near the end of my trick-or-treating. Yeah. Uh, is when I got into Butterfinger. Starbursts are solid. Mm-hmm. Skittles. Uh, Nerds, mm-hmm. I liked a lot. When I was a little kid, I liked candy ribbons. Yeah. You know, the little dots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My sister loved candy ribbons. Dear God. And then finally, nerds. Oh, did I say nerds? No, I meant finally ring pops. Oh. That were in my top five for a while. Interesting. But uh, ring pops are good stuff. Oh, you like the hard candy. I never would have guessed that. I guess I do. I used to like rock candy a lot, too. I haven't had that in a very long time. Yeah, I haven't had rock candy in forever. Cut your mouth off. Are you going to cut off uh, First Run Junior from trick-or-treating at some point, or are you going to let her figure that out on her own? Uh, Honestly, she probably was not going to go out this year. She... Likes to hand out the candy more than she likes to actually go at this point. Yeah, um, but my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my nephew are coming up. And my nephew's a couple years younger than her. Um, uh, okay. They're coming up. So she's gonna, they're going to go out trick-or-treating. She's agreed to go out trick-or-treating for a little while. Does she have a costume? Yeah, she's dressing up as a Taco Bell worker. And she's putting on a headset and everything. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good for her. Hopefully she doesn't meet up with Pete Davidson. That would probably not work out great for anybody. Pete Davidson coming out of the dark would be a terrifying Halloween experience. (laughs) What's your favorite Halloween candy? Let us know. Uh, Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Pumpkins better be on that goddamn list. I swear (laughs) to God, I'm going to ban you from listening to this show. Does it have to be number one, but it's got to be in your top five. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Matt, next week. What's going down in uh, the big town here? All right, so we got Black Adam coming up. Uh, does Dwayne Johnson look a little slimmed down for Black Adam? He doesn't seem as bulky as as we're used to seeing him in some of these trailer spots. You think so? I think so. Mm. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, also, possibly Kirk's three as well. And then we're on to our penultimate entry in our werewolf uh, film festival, Wolfen, which isn't even really about werewolves. Oh, I remember watching that movie like, 30 years ago and thought it was great, but I cannot remember a damn thing about it. They're so. genetically engineered, hyper-intelligent wolves. They're not people that turn into wolves. Oh. So why is it on the list? Because you put it on the list. Oh. Because you remembered it you and move liking it? it. That's okay. At this point, we can watch it. Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought it was. Okay. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Good times. Well, at least we're closing out with the howling. Yeah. Can't really go wrong That's there. True. Huh? Yeah. Solid. All right. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And uh, don't forget to go to thefirstrun.com. You can find archives of all the old shows, see the report card, and more. Uh, I'm going to that live Clerks 3 thing on Sunday. Oh. So um, a week from today. A little hint as to when we're recording tonight's episode. And... um. Looking forward to it. Smith's going to be there, and uh, it'll be interesting. We'll be doing a special episode of Screen Run to talk all about Clerks 3 as well. So, good times. So, yeah. In the meantime, I already did all the meantime stuff. All right. Go ahead, everybody. Take care of yourselves. We love you very much. We will see you soon. No, but... But yeah, but, whoa, so this is Radio Land, huh? The infinite turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! Can't close that. Hi, I know what you're thinking. This is weird, huh? But I can handle it. <laughs>
now.